0: I did what I could. I put Al Franken's book on the timeout shelf. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for December 22nd, 2019. My name's Joe Hicks.
1: Mine's Evan Kelly.
0: Evan, what, what are we doing here?
1: Well, we are workers on the assembly line of takes. We work at a take factory producing takes for you every week. Debate, discussion, discourse always adequately informed and always in good faith. Are are we the
0: proletacleat? Yes.
1: That's a strip. Okay. But
0: <laughs> we are only human on you know we haven't been replaced on the take lines with machines yet. No automation we make mistakes. We, we don't know everything. Our takes are imperfect. Take it mistakes. Is, take mistakes. Yeah, there's no ivory tower. Um, well, there but, is, but we're not there. Yeah, we're not there. We haven't killed enough elephants. But, Evan, we have a special episode, don't we?
1: A very special episode. Responsive to... The immediate actions of our time. The rough draft of history right here on Adequately Informed.
0: Yeah, we don't know what's going on, but I'm going to read a thousand page book in 40 years about what happened today or yesterday or whatever day this last week. I'm talking about impeachment of Donald Trump, which happened, I believe, was on the 18th, the 18th. Wednesday December 18th which for us recording was yesterday which and then whenever you're listening it however many days ago or months ago or years ago hi guys in the future check this out but anyway (laughs) (laughs) impeachment happened and we're devoting this whole episode um maybe except for an end segment To impeachment because this is a momentous occasion this is only the third president to be impeached president nixon was never formally impeached he quit right before he was impeached but regardless this is the third president to formally be impeached and it's quite a deal It's been all the rage, and there's a lot going on here. So today we're going to go over the procedure, what it is, how it works, all that fun ins and outs, then into a brief history of impeachment, specifically presidential impeachment. And then we're going to talk about what the current impeachment is all about. The impeachment of Donald John Trump. So, Evan. Yes, Joe. Since we, we divvied up the topic, do you have something you want to ask me?
1: Yeah, Joe. What do you want to say about impeachment? <laughs> well,
0: Evan, because of our prearranged taking dibs on topics of <laughs> the sections of impeachment, I got procedure. So, impeachment, what is it? So impeachment is a two-step process for removing a technically any federal official in the federal government, um, at least in the iteration that we're talking about, which also includes the president, the vice president, and all civil officers of the United States. They can all be impeached. But we're focusing on presidential impeachment. Now, it's two steps. Why is it two steps? Well, first, every impeachment proceedings, you know, the actual moving forward impeachment, besides investigations, has to start in the House. The House has to vote to impeach the president or the official, basically coming together and saying, hey, it's kind of like an indictment in criminal law. It's everybody coming together in the House and saying, hey, they did some bad stuff. Then the second part is the article's impeachment gets sent over to the Senate, and then the Senate gets to decide, hey, do these warrant taking this person out of federal office because of these bad deeds? Now, that's the big, big brain Big overview, million miles high. It gets, it gets, uh, it gets technical because you start to get into party politics and all this stuff, and some some definitions of uh, that are kind of out antiquated in the Constitution. That and then the actual meanings of these things. So. The most important clause in the Constitution that uh, pertains to impeachment reads, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, we know what treason is. Treason is helping an enemy in a time of war. Bribery is paying off someone for an exchange for uh, influence or something like that that helps your political career. But then there are high crimes and misdemeanors, which from some research on the Constitution at the time of writing the constitution the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors was somewhat antiquated so it really doesn't fit into the modern understanding of those words whatsoever but it's generally understood that high crimes and misdemeanors does not mean that an actual crime has to be committed it doesn't it doesn't have to be a high crime or Uh, then a misdemeanor like jaywalking (laughs) (laughs) like, like they, they don't, the ideas of a misdemeanor as being a secondary level of crime had not been codified at the constitutional convention. Like that had not become a solid legal concept and neither had bribery. Bribery was just kind of thought of, you know, being paid off to do something that um, someone or ordinarily would not do. So there are kind of three general paths that are accepted as things that fit into high crimes and misdemeanors. First is improperly exceeding or abusing the powers of office. This is kind of the classic example there was a big fear that foreign governments would come and influence elections would come and influence our elected officials and using the power of the office to enrich those foreign relationships or corruption or using gray areas in the office that would not otherwise be kosher. Like let's say for example you know the the president is the commander in chief of the military he runs the military well what if the president decided to use the military to seize the property of his political opponent like just a military takeover he would be within his right as president to do that but That would be a gross abuse of power, which would warrant being taken out of office. But then, so the second, the second kind of idiom of what high crimes and misdemeanors means is behavior incompatible with the function and purpose of the office. So if you were to go out and, yeah, there... In the past, there have been a number of federal judges who have been impeached for just drunkenness. They were just serial drunks and could not perform the office, so they were impeached because their behavior was unbecoming of a federal judge. And three, misusing the office for an improper purpose or for personal gain. So a kind of... Grand example of this would be kind of a classic corruption, which so using the office to enrich yourself personally would be improper use of the office. So there is a wide range of what a federal officer can be impeached for, it doesn't have to neatly be a crime under the federal law. It doesn't have to neatly be you know, a high you know, whatever our modern imagination would conceive as a high crime. Like, what would you think of as a high crime, Evan? Just like in a um, modern sensibility. Uh, money laundering. Like a bank heist? I think that would be a high crime. <laughs> <laughs> Getting in a shootout with the sheriff at high noon, that'd be a high crime.
1: Because it's at high noon, I understand.
0: Yeah, yeah, wordplay there.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and And in addition to what the founders thought on this, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 65 described impeachable offenses as arising from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. Basically, they wanted to get people out of power in the cases when politicians abuse their power, when they go beyond what is normally accepted for personal gain, such as seeking re-election, personal enrichment, devastation of others that they, they personally dislike, These are all abuses of power and fall under the purview of impeachment. And we can go back for something like this and look at what the founders intended, because this is not an area where things have gotten a whole lot different. Like, it is somewhat of a stretch to go back, you know, to try and take the founders' words and apply them to something like abortion that really didn't exist when the founders were around. Or digital privacy rights. Because they just had no concept for those. But abuse of power by the president, that is something that they did talk on, they did have a grasp on, and is still timeless today. So it is possible to go back and look at what the founders intended because the founders had... It still has relevance, and it's pertaining to the exact subject. So that is what impeachment is. Now, on procedural notes, there are investigations that are involved. So... Traditionally, impeachment proceedings or investigations happen in the House Judiciary Committee. Then, Then the House Judiciary Committee votes on articles of impeachment. They approve them. Then they go to the House. In general, they are voted on. Then it goes to the Senate where the trial is held. And then they vote on whether to actually remove them. Just some small details. One, the House or Senate can investigate behavior that would be becoming of impeachment whenever they want, and they have broad constitutional authority to do so. Two, when the House votes to impeach, then technically, under the definitions of the word, the, the officer is impeached impeachment does not necessarily mean removal from office mm-hmm. that's the second part that's so pre- presently in this timeline president trump is impeached bill clinton was impeached andrew johnson was impeached but they weren't removed from office Which, you know, people like to go, oh, well, you know, they voted on impeachment, but he wasn't removed from office, so he wasn't impeached. That's, that's, I mean, we're being pedantic and going about small stuff, but we want to adequately inform y'all. So, I'll give you a little, give you that pedantic nugget. And then, let me see, is there anything final? And then, in the Senate trial... Um, since it is the president under most other impeachments, so if it was a non-executive figure like a judge or something, the vice president would oversee an impeachment trial. But since the, the vice president is, runs on the same ticket as the president these days, the chief justice of the Supreme Court would proceed over the trial and it takes a supermajority for the Senate to remove the president from office, which is often the main hurdle from actually removing the president from office. And then, with that supermajority, the president would be removed from office, which is something we have not seen yet. So, there's often the wonder if that would be like the Secret Service carrying a struggling president out from the office, if they would do a perp walk. But. So anyway, that's procedure on impeachment.
1: Evan, is there anything you want to add? Um, anything only to clarify. Only to clarify that all of these procedural things are explicitly taken from the Constitution. So this is a constitutional process. Like you said, this is something that the founders envisioned as part of the checks and balances against the potential for a corrupt president. This is not a recent invention. This is not something that, uh, you know, one party passed into law to try to jeopardize the other party when they weren't in power. This is straight out of the original OG Constitution.
0: And this is not... This is something that members of Congress do not... For the most part, is not taken as a frivolous exercise. Like, the odd House or Senate member may propose... Articles of impeachment, but oftentimes it goes nowhere if it has no basis because it is seen to be, I mean, they take it very seriously, seen as, you know, going against the quote will of the people to undo an election, to take someone out of office. So it is taken very seriously and out of 45 presidents, this is the third one. We've had more presidents be assassinated than get impeached. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so Evan. Yeah? Uh, tell us about what your grab bag of the topics was.
1: Yeah, so I am going to give a historical overview of when we've seen these principles put into action. And the first president to be impeached Was Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson was the 17th President of the United States. He was a Democrat from Tennessee who served as Vice President to Abraham Lincoln and took over upon Lincoln's assassination. Now, if you know a little bit about history, you might be surprised to learn that Johnson was a Democrat because Lincoln was, of course, a Republican. And a caveat is that these party names don't really mean the same thing now as they did back then. But still, we're going to use the names for clarity. And the reason why that is, is because in the middle of all of this turmoil during Lincoln's tenure, he was a little bit worried about winning a second term in office. So for the election of 1864, he picked a Democrat to run on his ticket in the National Union ticket to make sure that he had broad support, and he was reelected with Andrew Johnson a vice president from a different party and they went into the white house
0: yeah and in the in the modern looking back it kind of seems ridiculous because Lincoln won in an absolute landslide now because he had a democrat as a vice president it's to be debated but it it can and looking back with hindsight it almost seems ridiculous that Lincoln was worried about re-election because he, I mean, he's on the damn money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, history has remembered him as one of our finest leaders, but, you know, we don't have the clarity of history in the moment, and this was something he felt he needed to do as a calculated political move. But the problem when Andrew Johnson took over is that the rest of the executive branch and federal appointments were done by a Republican president, and Congress was controlled by the Republicans. So through this act of assassination, we have a president put in who is at odds with almost everyone else trying to accomplish things within the government. The biggest clash that Johnson had with the other politicians of his time had to deal with Reconstruction. As a Democrat, Johnson believed in leniency for the southern states as they were readmitted, but also to not offer federal protections to freed slaves. The Republican Party was concerned with being more punitive towards the Confederates, while also codifying into federal law protections for freed slaves to smooth their transition into modern society. And one of the main proponents of this Republican strategy was Secretary of War Edwin Stanton. Stanton was appointed by Lincoln, uh, very much believed in those Republican ideals, and was going to shape policy based on that, and Andrew Johnson didn't like it, and so he wanted to fire Edwin Stanton and replace him with his own Secretary of War. However, Congress liked the job that Edwin Stanton was doing, and they decided to act to try to keep him in office as long as possible. So in 1867, they passed the Tenure of Office Act, which essentially just made it harder to remove cabinet members. It required a president who wanted to dismiss a cabinet member to get approval from Congress, which if he was trying to fire Edwin Stanton, the Republican Congress would not approve of his dismissal. But... He tried to do some sort of workarounds. He waited until Congress was out of session and temporarily suspended Stanton, but then Stanton came back to the post when Congress resumed their uh, their legislative activity after the yeah, recess. He,
0: he literally refused to leave his office.
1: Yeah, he... That, he, that was he part actually, of it. Small detail, but he he sort of barricaded himself in the office of the Secretary of War and refused to leave. But... Nonetheless, Johnson was intent on firing Stanton and did so without the congressional approval required by the Tenure of Office Act of 1867. So on February 24th of 1868, the impeachment proceedings began. The House moved to begin the formal impeachment inquiry, and they ended up coming up with 11 articles of impeachment against Andrew Johnson. As we're going to find out, that's a lot. With Clinton, it was only two. With Donald Trump, it's two. But they slapped Johnson with 11 articles of impeachment. On March 2nd and 3rd, the case was made to the Senate. And the Senate only decided to try him on three of the 11 articles of impeachment. But each time... The vote ended 35 to 19. Remember that there were fewer states, and especially being in the wake of the Civil War, not all of the Southern states had been readmitted to the Union, and so there were only 54 senators voting representing 27 states. So the supermajority needed two-thirds, as Joe mentioned, would have required 36 votes to impeach and remove. And on each of the three articles that they tried him on, they fell one vote short, and Andrew Johnson was able to remain the president. The interesting thing is that the Republicans in the Senate had enough votes. If they would have voted just along party lines, Andrew Johnson would have been removed from office. But each time, 10 Republican senators defected and voted not guilty. And the reason for this was they were concerned about the separation of powers. They felt that since the Tenure of Office Act was passed simply to provoke Andrew Johnson into breaking that law, that that, that it was trying to override the will of the president and give the legislative branch too much power. And so they voted to keep him in office. But the the summary of Andrew Johnson impeachment was that he was accused of high crimes and misdemeanors, essentially revolving around the violation of this act, which was put in place solely to impede his cabinet decisions. And that's why this is considered to be a politically motivated impeachment and ultimately an unsuccessful removal Though, as Joe said, with the House approving articles of impeachment, it does count as the first president to be impeached. And, and to
0: piggyback off that, there, there is a very important point to impeachment that impeachment is not a legal proceeding. I kind of hinted at it earlier. You know, you don't have to break a law specifically for an impeachment to be called for. You just have to abuse the office. Now, because it's not a criminal proceeding, impeachment, all impeachments, are inherently political. Now, they can be justified through criminal acts, but they are a political means of removal.
1: Yes, that, so, is, that is their inherent nature.
0: So, while calling you know it's weird how in our modern era we call things political to mean like bad like just bad faith
1: or tainted Um, yeah yeah it's it's motivated by something nefarious
0: yeah like (laughs) it's it is all politics and you know the andrew johnson impeachment was political the bill clinton impeachment was political the donald trump impeachment was was political. There can be legal reasons that you could want to impeach someone, but it doesn't have to be like that. And it's weird, you know, before we even get into the conversation about these current political or the current impeachment, it is interesting that members of Congress have tried to say, this isn't about politics. This is about you know, something greater. And I was like, well, no, it is about politics. I mean, your politics could be about removing someone who is abusing power or it could not be. So... <laughs> the point
1: um, being that the fact that impeachment is a political process does not invalidate impeachment as a practice.
0: Yes. it It is inherently political, but our pol- politics is political.
1: Whoa. <laughs> Real galaxy brain stuff, Joe. Yeah,
0: i'm I'm shooting for, I'm shooting for. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> after Andrew Johnson, we went over a hundred years before the next rumblings of impeachment began, and Joe sort of tipped the hand here, but Richard Nixon was not ever actually impeached. And that was something that was surprising to me when I learned it, because growing up, that's what I had been told. Nixon was impeached and resigned and removed, and he's the guy who they got and did all the crimes and Frost Nixon and blah, blah, blah. But although he was not impeached, the House was doing the impeachment investigation, which began on October 30th, 1973. And formally began on February 6th, 1974. However, when Richard Nixon resigned on August 9th, 1974, that put an end to the investigation before the House could vote on articles of impeachment. So sort of paradoxically, Richard Nixon is the only president to be removed by threat of impeachment. He saw the writing on the wall, but he was not himself actually impeached. And... and-
0: Nixon did kind of a uh, a kind of savvy move there. So, when a officer of the government is impeached, there are only two things that can be uh, done as punishment as part of impeachment proceedings. One is removal from office. That's the one everybody knows. And then after that they can bar the individual from ever running for whatever level of office they were impeached from again. So if they were impeached at the federal level, the federal government could bar them from ever running for federal office or holding federal office again. But that does not mean that they can't be charged with criminal, uh, you know, with criminal proceedings. They can't after they're impeached, they can be indicted. They can be charged with crimes. So what Nixon did, he with, with what happened with him, there was a very good chance he could have been convicted of a crime. So by leaving office before he was impeached and having Gerald Ford preemptively pardon him, he was able to sidestep any criminal charges for what had happened but if he had stuck it out and ended up getting impeached he would have had both removed from office not on his own terms and then charged with the associated crimes with that
1: yeah nixon was nothing if not savvy and he understood that there was no escaping his fate other than to take the course of action that he did.
0: Yep. So, it, it, it was bad what he did, but, it, you know, we, we can never not say Nixon was not a savvy player.
1: <laughs> exactly. After Nixon, the next rumblings of impeachment came a bit sooner, relatively speaking, with Bill Clinton, the president who uh, was president when we were born, probably president for many of our lifetimes, many of your lifetimes listening, or just before. And in 1994, this all started when a former gubernatorial staffer named Paula Jones filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against Bill Clinton for sexual harassment that occurred while he was governor of Arkansas, and she worked for him. This sort of opened the door for a man named Kenneth Starr to start digging around. Kenneth Starr was an independent counsel for the government, and he began investigating these allegations and soon, through different reports, stumbled on to a woman named Monica Lewinsky. Starr discovered that she was having an affair with Clinton and also discovered that after this was brought, beginning to be brought to light, Clinton was attempting to orchestrate a cover-up Some of the things that the Star Report concluded was that Clinton denied the affair under oath, which is problematic, and coached others to do the same. And this became the crux of the impeachment case against him. On October 8th, 1998, impeachment proceedings begin against Bill Clinton, and eventually two articles of impeachment are introduced. One on the count of perjury for the false claims that he made under oath regarding his affair with Monica Lewinsky, and the second for obstruction of justice for trying to convince Lewinsky and other people with knowledge of the situation to lie as well. And it's really interesting because this most recent vote cleaved very closely to party lines. But when Bill Clinton was impeached in the House, 31 Democrats voted to impeach. So still a small percentage of the Democrats at the time, but more bipartisan than the other impeachments that we've come to know. The Senate trial for Bill Clinton's impeachment began on January 7th, 1999, And this is where we get some of those really big cultural moments that everyone associates with Bill Clinton, the I did not have sexual relations with that woman statement, and quibbling over what the definition of is, is. Essentially, he said, there's nothing going on between us. There is no sex. And while it's probably technically true because they weren't actively engaged in the affair during these proceedings, it was misleading because it suggested that there was never any relationship with the two, which was patently false. Mm-hmm. The vote on Clinton impeachment was on February 12, 1999. and on the first article of impeachment, he was found not guilty on a 45 to 55 vote. The second vote was split 50/50, but it still did not rise to that supermajority of two-thirds which would require 67 votes to remove. On both votes, go
0: ahead. Yeah, and on a note on this is that it it also Bill Clinton's uh, impeachment help highlights the nature that impeachment is political because on the I I heard uh, more reputable sources than us uh, that on the day that Bill Clinton was impeached he had an approval rating of 70% because impeachment over his scandal was seen as from by the American people as a frivolous exercise. Should he have done it? No, but impeached over it. No.
1: And that's ultimately what the voting boiled down to is that pretty much nobody disputed the facts of the case. Everyone agreed that Bill Clinton did what he was accused of doing. But all Democrats and even some Republicans, 10 on the first article and five on the second article, believed that even if that's what he did, it didn't rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. It didn't rise to the level of that conduct unbecoming that Joe talked about earlier. And even if it was true, his... Affair and the resultant cover up was more of a personal matter that didn't interfere with his ability to run the country. This is a case where, even if all Republicans, even if there were no Republican defectors, they still would not have been able to remove him. But I do find it interesting that some Republicans still did vote not to remove. So, Bill Clinton became the third president to have impeachment proceedings begin in the house the second president to become impeached and the second president to be to fail to be removed by the senate trial and that brings us to the current situation but before
0: we get to the current situation i do have one little more historical tidbit um so one there there has been an experience with impeachment in a little bit more recent history. It's not been with a president, but with a governor and a governor of a state. Pretty much, a, a fair amount of our listeners are from Illinois. In two thousand nine, Rod Blagojevich was impeached as from the governorship of Illinois, and most states model their constitutions after the federal government. So, impeachment in Illinois is pretty similar to federal impeachment. And this was an example where, like, looking back on it, it is like the almost perfect case for impeachment. Rod Blagojevich was caught up in corruption, was wiretapped, and was found to be offering Barack Obama's Senate seat appointment for cash offering it to bidders and you know trying to make money off of that when this was found out the entire government uh the the entire body politique of the illinois general assembly hopped on board with impeachment there was a unanimous vote in the general assembly to impeach and then in the senate trial Every single senator, state senator in Illinois, voted to remove Blagojevich from office. Then, when Blagojevich was removed from office, criminal charges were brought against him for the uh, associated crimes, and he is still in jail today for those crimes. And this this proceeding and the crimes that Blagojevich committed. I find are kind of the most analogous to what is going on today with the current impeachment trial and debacle and whatever you whatever you want to call this shindig. but we'll get into that after a snazzy drumbeat. So this brings us to the main segment today, which is the impeachment of Donald John Trump. So before we get into that, I would like to express that we are partisan in nature. We are not coming from the voice from nowhere. So I will say that I am in favor of impeachment. And Evan, where do you stand?
1: I'm also in favor of impeachment I see the political yes. argument against it and it just seems to me that the conduct has warranted this impeachment and that supersedes other concerns for me
0: yes uh, I believe the the both, the both of us see this as a moral quandary, as a character of our nation of you know what You know, what needs to be done. So with that out of the way, so that y'all know where we stand before we talk about what's going on, I guess we'll get into it. So, Evan, how how does this all start?
1: Oh, how does it start? Oh, that's a great question. But most recently, (laughs) on Wednesday, (laughs) the House introduced two articles of, or not introduced, but voted on and passed two articles of impeachment against Donald Trump on the charges of abuse of power and obstruction of justice related to a uh, the Trump-Ukraine scandal, the smoking gun of which yeah. was a transcript of a phone call he had with UK, Ukraine's leader Zelensky. And in it, the main charge is that he withheld aid from Ukraine until the condition was met that Zelensky and the Ukrainian government investigate corruption within the country related to Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who had done work within Ukraine. And this is problematic because the accusation is that Donald Trump used the office of the president and the privilege thereof of distributing aid to accomplish his own political goals of weakening the campaign of Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden.
0: So oh there there's a lot to unpack there. So from my understanding is that if we want to go to the true origins of where all this started, this what what kicked it off well one, To set the whole damn thing in motion is, I guess, when Hunter Biden accepted a role in a Ukrainian energy company. Then, because of that, at the time during the Obama administration, there was a, I believe it was a New York Times or Washington Post article was written about that potential corruption and what the moral, uh, you know, ramifications of that and, you know, is that aspiring to our best ideas. Fast forward forward into the year of our Lord twenty eighteen, President Trump and his ilk through opposition research get wind of this report. And they decide, hey, maybe there is something we could do with this. So you the Ukraine or no, it's not the Ukraine, it's just Ukraine is currently in a war with Russia over Crimea. If we all think back to like 2014, 2015, Russia just straight up annexed part of Ukraine. And they have been at war ever since. Now, since Ukraine is a democracy, we are on the side of Ukraine, not Russia. We, at the time, uh, President Obama and the United States government condemned Russia for annexing Crimea. Now, these two countries are at war. And just recently, last year, um, as Evan mentioned, President, I believe it's Vladimir Zelensky. I think that's his first name. Regardless, his last name is Zelensky. He was a a comedian turned president and was newly elected to Ukraine in the midst of this war with Russia. And he had a phone call with President Trump in about April, I believe it was, somewhere in that time frame, where President Trump pretty much asked Zelensky to investigate the Bidens in exchange for continuing military aid, which was being withheld until that happened. And this only came to light because of the, if you remember from months past, the whistleblower, a still anonymous to the general public uh, individual who who was with the CIA and on a national security detail, had... You know, had heard that there was a call that went so badly that, you know, the, you know, the president had basically, um, you know, threatened to withhold military aid from Ukraine, an ally in order for them to investigate his political opponent. He filed this report, you know, he blew the whistle went through various bodies it finally became public and then once it became public there was big hubbub you know there was some initial backtracking there was you know conservative commentators saying if this is what we think it is then this is this is impeachable stuff and then very early on trump released the transcript of the call which bewildering to everybody confirmed what he you know what was alleged and through uh interviews with other people who were familiar with the call or even on the call confirmed everything basically everything in the whistleblower report as factual that president trump pressured small ukraine a country you know in a war with the big power that is russia at least in that geographic region to you know pressuring them <laughs> withholding military aid so that they can investigate the Bidens. And so this has been going back and forth. There was an investigation. There was a impeachment proceedings. And then we have gotten to, to the point where there are the articles of impeachment. One for the aforementioned events. And second, which is the obstruction of justice or more specifically obstruction of Congress, where because president trump has cited executive privilege saying that no officials from the white house can testify no officials from the department of energy the the state department and various other departments are able to testify and also that the white house and said departments release no documents relating to this call to this incident so That's where the second article of impeachment comes from. So in a nutshell, that's the grand overview of how all this went down.
1: Now, it seems like a lot of this is hinging on the idea of the creation or lack of a quid pro quo. Can you tell me your thoughts on that in regards to the situation?
0: Well, quid pro quo is a fancy Latin phrase that lawyers use to mean, it means something for something. So, I mean, basically, if you pay someone for a good, that's a quid pro quo. Like, you paid money and you got something out of it. Now, the reason why people say quid pro quo in this context is because it is, it's in a case of bribery or an abuse of power. I mean, it is more I mean, it fits more squarely in you know, kind of the bribery camp. You know, withholding. You know, we we only give you this if you do X, um, which is also kind of extortion. But this is, I mean, the big thing is establishing that yes, Trump was actually withholding military aid from Ukraine because until he got an investigation. And it has been found that aid was only finally given to Ukraine when the heat of when the uh, there was heat around the possibility that this story got out. Did they eventually release the aid to Ukraine?
1: Now, Trump has claimed that the holdup in aid was clerical. And he claims that at the time of this phone call, Zelensky was not even aware that aid was being withheld. Do you find those defenses credible?
0: Um, From what it um, from what the understanding is, is that from what I've heard is that I don't know about the Ukraine side, but um other nato allies at least knew that aid was coming and was supposed to be coming and it wasn't um which was a a bizarre incident i think there was uh, there was one person who testified who you know said that basically there was an understanding that there was going to be aid and then I think it was Gordon Sondland was being fishy about it and wasn't giving her straight answers about when the military aid was going to be there. Um, and there's also a good cause for Zelensky to want to go along with whatever narrative Trump is going with because he is still a nation at war with Russia, with the United States being the greatest ally in that fight so he does not want to piss off the powers that be he does not want to bite the hand that feeds him right now because he is in need of that aid so if Trump you know gets mad at him because Zelensky says he feels pressured or you know he was he he the holdup was unwarranted then that could cause a backlash, which would net in no military aid and real lives lost in Ukraine.
1: So you bring up Gordon Sondland, and he is an important figure in all of this. He was the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, and he is said to have been part of the team dispatched to work with Rudy Giuliani to deal with the Ukrainians and apply this pressure to investigate Burisma, which is the name of the company, the Ukrainian gas company with, on which Hunter Biden was the uh, was on the board, and so his his testimony holds a great deal of power within these deliberations and investigations. Yes.
0: So, from all the information that I've seen, is definitely that military aid was withheld from Ukraine because they wanted to, for Ukraine, to investigate the Bidens. And it's easy to imagine a world where if the Trump administration was just a little savvier, just a little bit better at covering their tracks, a little bit more less corrupt out in the open, this could have never come to light. And... They we would just one day read, you know, on our Twitter feeds and on the front of all the newspapers that Ukraine opens investigation into Joe Biden and son Hunter Biden.
1: So what about the claim that if there there was anything going on that wasn't above board with Hunter Biden, that trump was just doing his responsibility and his due diligence in trying to uncover that and there was no political motivation to it how do you respond to those defenses
0: well one if there was a real issue with uh, hunter biden's dealings with uh you know Burisma, then one they could have investigated them themselves um if he was actually interested in corruption This isn't the only issue of corruption in Ukraine, which is famous for its corruption. Um, This is not the first place and not the only place he would go if you if he was truly interested in fighting corruption in Ukraine. And I also tend to not take him very seriously that he doesn't believe that uh, the the sons and daughters of powerful figures within government should not be able to profit off of their uh, their connections to their parents because Jared and Ivanka made over $100 million while technically working full-time at the White House last year. So it it is just disingenuous all around. Now, the what the... Did... Go ahead. I I wanted to say that as a serious matter, Joe Biden should have a better answer for why um, Hunter Biden was doing this. Yes. And there should be and this is something that shouldn't happen. But when it comes from Trump, it is not a it is not a good faith argument and it is not an exemption from his actions.
1: The other element that I think is really important here is the timeline. If they were just interested in fighting corruption, they had years to investigate Hunter Biden and his dealings in Ukraine, but the phone call only occurred, and this interest within Hunter Biden's dealings only occurred after Joe Biden became a political front runner. And the defense has tried to claim that they don't view Joe Biden as a front runner, which is ridiculous and not a, a good faith defense. You look at any poll and any a, any cursory following of the primary process shows that Joe Biden is indeed the Democratic frontrunner, or at very least a serious candidate. And it is extraordinarily telling that it took that for Trump to suddenly care about this alleged corruption
0: yeah this corruption that happened back in 2015 like there were no new developments in the Hunter Biden Burisma case yes (laughs) he was on the board I believe he left the board at some point or the company disbanded Some one of those, do you know exactly what went down with that? Uh, No, I don't. Yeah, but there was no you know, it's not like you got appointed CEO or czar or whatever, whatever it would be for that company so there was no new dealings since essentially 2015 so there was plenty of time to investigate this to uh, lodge a formal inquiry into it and it only comes out once the uh, presidential primary is on its yeah you know, on its course and it definitely seems like the timing of it was to be part of the presidential primary cycle
1: mm-hmm. that one
0: day we would just wake up and it would be announced that Ukrainian officials are investigating Joe Biden and Hunter Biden for corruption. And oh, uh, we we're I mean, we we're pretty close to living in that world. Yeah. And this is just this is a gross abuse of power. Like, so, you know, we We went through the whole Muller Report thing. And in the end, the Muller Report concluded that under his under a strict reading of the law and under guidelines that uh, you could not indict a president and under you know the evidence that they had, they could not adequately say that the uh, United States and Russia colluded together to, um, in a way, hack or uh, change the effects of the 2016 election. But it definitely was that both parties were very open to it, even if they never did the formal handshake and said, hey, guy, let's collude. They definitely did actions that were reciprocal to each other that enhanced their ability to sway the election. And Trump has never really formally condemned Russia He peddles a theory that it was not Russia who meddled in our election, but Ukraine who meddled in our election. And even though the entire uh, national security apparatus of the United States says that Russia interfered in our election and we need to do more to, um, to combat that in the future, Trump has repeatedly claimed that as false and gone against it and peddled his own theories as to which to take you know the blame off of Russia and so it is completely within his character to be going and trying to influence the next election through any means possible and that is at a core that's what the founders were worried of Seeking foreign influence to affect the election. Like this is the worst thing an elected official can do is use the power of the office to enshrine power in, you know, enshrine and codify their power in that office and enlisting foreign help to cast shade upon, to influence the election is deeply, deeply, deeply un-American.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, In order to have faith in democracy, we need to know that it is only the influence of the will of the people that determines the election outcomes. And by soliciting the help of Ukraine to dig up dirt on a political opponent... That jeopardizes that confidence in our electoral system. And the other element that comes into play is that he's leveraging a power that only the president has to accomplish something that Trump the candidate wants. And that is deeply unfair and unbecoming because then the decision about military aid doesn't have to do with The effectiveness of the aid, but rather how it can be leveraged to ensure personal favorable outcomes for the man wielding the aid. And that is not what I want the presidency to be. I don't want the presidency to be a tool to empower the person who is in that office. I want it to be about the office. And that seems to have been lost. Yeah, and
0: it just there are just so many like small stupid arguments. Like one one argument I hear all the time is like, "Well, Christopher Steele, who made the uh, the Trump dossier, was a you know a British spy," and it's like, "Well, he wasn't working as his capacity as the British government, and you know the Hillary Clinton campaign didn't like." Go to the British government and be like, hey, we need dirt on our on Trump. They were like, hey, Christopher Steele, individual person who does research. Can you do this research for us or or uh, what's another what's another bad faith argument? You know, it it our um, saying that this impeachment will um, overturn the will of the people. Well, Trump didn't even get the most votes in the Electoral College. <laughs> well, in the Electoral College, he
1: did, but not in the popular vote.
0: Well, yeah, in the popular vote. But he did not get, you know, the, yeah, he did not win the popular vote. So in, in arguments for keeping the, the Electoral College, there, there is a strong belief that the will of the people should not be trusted. But if we impeach them, oh, no, can't go against the will of the people.
1: And Here's the other problem with that will of the people argument. To the extent that Donald Trump's presidency is the will of the people, it's not like impeachment and removal is going to give the office to Hillary. It's not going to make a Democrat the president. The presidency will go to Mike Pence, who the people also voted into office. So to to say to grandstand and, and wring your hands that this is somehow an attempt to subvert So to subvert democracy is ludicrous.
0: And and the the people also voted in the house that chose, you know, decided to do impeachment. Yeah. Like that voted on impeachment proceedings. Impeachment is part of the Constitution. Um, And like if they wanted to vote on articles of impeachment, they can because they were voted in to do so. And it's not like they went about this frivolously. Um, sure, there are members of the Democratic Party who have been calling for impeachment from day one, um, but that has not been the stance of the Democratic establishment, and that not, has not been carried through in the actions of the Democratic establishment. You know, there was the whole you know Mueller report. There was the whole investigation. They did not bring up articles impeachment after that. There have been, you know, children dying in cages in, you know, what are essentially internment camps on our border, and they did not bring up articles of impeachment on that. There have been plenty of things that have Trump have done that have been bad or, you know, skirting the real line of being bad. I mean, hell, he was found guilty of running a sham charity, which everybody, um, you know, almost everybody who's a republican accuses obama and the clintons of doing (laughs) but an actual government you know investigation found that the trump charity was using money that was donated for veterans to pay for legal fees for the trump campaign that's that's a level of corruption that if it had happened to any other president would have People, you know, calling for their impeachment over that, but they did not impeach over that. They, the Democrats waited to impeach over a clear abuse of power of the office, a clear cut case where Trump used his office for clear personal gain, not in the weeds, not in the, you know, not in the nitty gritty, not in a specific interpretation of the emolument, all emoluments clause. It was clear clear as day, using his office to have another, to pressure a foreign government to open an investigation on his main political po- opponent at that time.
1: I'm glad you bring up the emoluments clause because that's the one that that really sticks with me. The idea that the president cannot use the office to personally enrich themselves, and yet Trump has essentially turned the presidency into a, a commercial for Trump resort properties. He regularly spends taxpayer money there and he Administration officials go there. Yes, and he uses his pulpit to promote his brand and it's disgusting. But even that was not used against him in this impeachment case.
0: Yeah, I mean... The fact that um, flight crews in Scotland would drive over, you know, like two hours away from the airfield that they landed in to go stay at a Trump resort when there were a myriad of other hotel options that were closer and cheaper. You know, that's a clear example. There's a fucking Trump hotel like down the block from the White House in D.C., that foreign diplomats regularly stay at to curry favor with the president.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I think it should have been impeachable that he didn't divest from his fucking business. Yes. Because how, can, like, you know, the argument kind of went, oh, well, it's such a big business, how could he divest from it? Well, it's more important than ever that he divest from it. You know, he's the only official in the federal government who hasn't had his, Um, tax returns made public and investigated for for uh, corruption you know you can't most people can't work in the white house if you have debts to any sort of shady figures (laughs) you know jared uh yeah jared kushner was denied security clearance for a long time because he has a lot of debts to shady figures in russia which could be used as extortion on him. Mm -hmm. But Trump overrode it anyway. And, you know, he continues to be flagrant with security, national security interest. He still uses a damn unsecured phone in the fucking White House, in the Oval Office, to tweet off his mad unhinged rants. He is not a man who knows what room he is in, what he's truly talking about. And, you know, he also seems to have dementia, which, you know, could conjure up, you know, maybe not even, not impeachment, but the 25th Amendment, which is for removing, you know, uh, an unfit president from office, you know, if the cabinet sees fit. But it just seems like in a hyper-partisan environment where... The same parties control power across multiple branches of government that it may be impossible for a president to be removed from office without the opposition, the opposing party holding all the levers of power, Mm -hmm. all the other levers of power.
1: So I think that the partisan nature is something really interesting that we should get into, but I want to take a brief detour first because I think we've been focusing a lot on Article 1 of impeachment, which is very important. And I think that you and I both agree that we've seen ample evidence to believe that these charges are accurate and valid and impeachable, but a lot of people aren't convinced and they think that nothing. there was no quid pro quo, nothing was wrong on that phone call. But even if we operate under the assumption that Article 1 is not valid, Article 2 still could sink him, because I want to bring attention to the fact that you can be guilty of oh, the obstruction. second article of impeachment? Yes, the second article of impeachment. Oh, okay. Sorry if I okay,
0: here. I, I, I was thinking like article one of the Constitution, article two. So the yeah, second I can article see where you of impeachment.
1: That. No, yes, to clarify, the articles to which I refer are the articles of impeachment. The second article of impeachment addressing obstruction of justice. And it's important to remember that you can be guilty of obstruction without committing an underlying crime if you are not forthcoming with investigators and you do not comply with subpoenas, you are still committing an additional infraction, even if the thing you're accused of doesn't turn out to be verifiable. Yes.
0: If Trump is truly innocent of what happened, he can drop both impeachment charges or both articles pretty instantaneously. If he allows... White House officials like Mick Mulvaney and and other officials who were in on the call or knew about the call, if he allowed them to testify before Congress, if he released additional documentation on the phone call, if he released, you know, if he let other departments testify um, in these impeachment proceedings, one, if he did all that. I would absolve him immediately of the obstruction of justice article of, of impeachment and if it is true that it, he is in the clear he is innocent and that the phone call was not um a quid pro quo but a full faith effort to combat it uh corruption in ukraine then that would absolve him of the article other article of impeachment we only went with two Articles of impeachment They're very narrow They're very specific And if he was truly innocent And gave a little bit Then he would be able to absolve himself of it But he is choosing not to Yes So <laughs> I swear what What is it? Every few days he tweets out Presidential harassment in all <laughs> capital letters Just find it hilarious but it's the guy is just he he has gotten unhinged he's tweeting hundreds of times you know dozens and dozens of times a day at least about what's going on he's retweeting every little account on twitter who um even says anything cursorily nice about him it's you know i guess you could do that it's within his power but I mean, geez, this is not behavior any, you know, if anybody in my life was acting like that, I would think that there's something seriously wrong with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is our president. And then we there is also back to bad arguments, the the arguments that, oh, well, this is uh, the 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 uh, the Democrats do this too. Obama did this all the time, but he never got caught or, you know, he probably did this or did that. And it's like, well, you know what? If he did, if they did, if, you know, show me and I'll be against it, too. Yeah. You know, I like to think I would, you know, if if Obama clearly used his office to pressure another country into, um, you know, investigating something then his political rival, then I would be pretty against that as well. I mean, it's
1: it's a classic straw man saying this is a bad thing, but someone else did it, too. Doesn't make it less bad that you did it. Right.
0: Right. You know, there is a constant. I don't know if it's an argument that anybody ever explicitly makes, but there seems to be a feeling upon ardent trump supporters and people who reluctantly support him is that yes he's doing all of this bad stuff but this is he he's doing nothing different than what other presidents do and that he's only getting caught or that you know more light is being shined on what he does so he's getting caught you know he's being frivolously looked at the deep
1: state wants to take him down
0: yeah, he's being looked at with a a finer, you know, looked over with a finer comb, uh, a a higher power magnifying glass, but that that is simply not true. I mean, there were fucking eight Benghazi hearings. You want to talk about investigations to to work on their damn political opponents? <laughs> fucking uh, Kevin McCarthy. He gave up the he he was in the running to get the damn speakership of the house after uh Boehner stepped down. But then he did a whoopsie on television and said that the Benghazi hearings were just straight up to affect Hillary Clinton's polling numbers. <laughs> and I just got to say, these last three years of this have just been exhausting.
1: It has been. It has been. And they're going to hear this next week again when we do the decade in review. But it's just <laughs> it's been hey, everybody weak. heads up
0: next week is not a super uppity episode either. We'll try and bring it back on the new year. But um...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> next year, uh, nothing but sunshine, <laughs> but sunshine and roses.
1: So I want no, to sort of... oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, you go ahead. No, you go. No, ahead.
1: I just I, I want to now. I think we've set our piece on the merits of the impeachment case. So I now want to pivot to the critique of impeachment that's emerging from certain Democrats. The idea that the trial in the Senate is not going to be impartial. Mitch McConnell has admitted that he's not going to be an impartial arbiter of impeachment because he and Lindsey Graham and other top ranking Republicans are already convinced that it's a sham, there's no merits to the case, and that they just want to get the Senate trial done as quickly as possible, not remove Trump. The Democrats don't have the votes to remove Trump anyway, and go back to business as usual. So, Operating under the assumption that they won't remove Trump anyway, and in fact, it could just galvanize his base that impeachment is not worth pursuing from a Democratic standpoint. I wanted to get your thoughts on that line of reasoning.
0: If you think something's wrong, sometimes no matter, you know, what, what's going on, what the ramifications of it are, you just got to do it. You know, I got, I think back to, you know, um, when, you know, protests for something happen way before it's even socially acceptable to even talk about something like the, uh, oh man like you know civil rights leaders before you know the the big conversation happens or people standing up for things you know even if this may not be a clear political win even if this is not um we will truly get trump out of office you still got to do it at this level with such a clear-cut case it think about it yeah, you know, we're, you know, there, there is the edgy take that this doesn't do anything. Oh, you know, it, it's not out of office. What does this matter? Well, what if, what if all this came out and Democrats decided not to impeach? There would be a huge feeling that they ceded the moral high ground, that they said this was okay, that this was something that was all right. So this was the democrats part to say no this is not all right well democrats and justin amash saying <laughs> no this is not all right this is not acceptable behavior we have this very fine-tuned two articles of impeachment and we believe that these things these these abuses of power are not okay this is somebody this is a group in history standing up to him Is it a full measure? No. Is it going to possibly change a lot? Who knows? Low likelihood. But it is still an act against the injustice of it.
1: I largely agree with that. I think that although we talk about impeachment as a political process, because it inherently is, you, you can't really use a political justification if you're a member of the House of Representatives to avoid impeachment. Within our system of government, we have checks and balances, and the legislative branch has the solemn duty to impeach the president if he commits an impeachable offense. And With all that has come to light and all of these transgressions, the members of the Senate Judiciary Committee led by Jerry Nadler felt that it was their duty to act, whether or not it was politically expedient for them in the upcoming election for the party. And I think it's entirely likely that this will just lead to bigger support within Trump's base. And if anything, I think it increases his chances of being reelected. But I commend the lawmakers within the House of Representatives who had the courage to, as Joe said, make a statement and say, this is not okay. If we live in a world where our president is going to invite foreign interference into our election, if all we can do is say that we acknowledge this and know that it's wrong, if that's the best we can do, damn it, we're going to do that. And that's powerful. And that's important. And I hope that it will inspire other people to realize the gravity of what we are going through as a nation right now.
0: Yes, this is, it's not akin to when Bill Clinton was impeached over a legal technicality, he perjured himself. Um, You know, there is a growing consensus that he should have resigned within, you know, growing consensus within the Democratic Party. But, you know, that's a whole separate issue. But Trump's corruption here is a clear case where the Constitution defines that essentially he needs to be removed from office or at the very least impeached. It is not a frivolous case. It is not on the outskirts you know it's not one of the articles of impeachment against Andrew Johnson that uh, was for his rancorous gesticulation. He apparently talked <laughs> real badly about Congress and in a real coarse manner, and that was one of the articles of impeachment against him. No, this is obstruction of justice and abuse of power. This is what it is and i I'm glad you brought up. Uh, checks and balances because this brings up another issue of our modern day that I wanted to get to when we did our little uh, no you talk no you talk this is um, what I wanted to bring up is that we are in a we are in a territory that the founding fathers did not envision what they did not they hoped that they created a system that was free from political parties. And since they designed a system that they hoped would prevent political parties, they did not factor in how, poli- if there were political parties, how that would work in the federal government. And what we are currently seeing in our partisan times is that a single political party can work across multiple branches of government to achieve ends to keep themselves in power one thing that was supposed to be in the constitution one thing that was supposed to help impeachment was ambition checking ambition there was it was supposed to be that every member of congress was supposed to be so ambitious do what was best trying to make whatever moves necessary you know it's kind of like the idea of you know, unlimited, unregulated capitalism. Everyone's just going to try and uh, make as much money, so everybody's going to do well. Well, the same idea was for the members of the government. Everybody was supposed to have endless ambition and that they were supposed to try and, you know, take out people who were bad in charge so that everybody could, else could, you know, try and move up in the ladder.
1: Yeah, if the well, currency what happened, of electability is good decisions, they hoped it would incentivize people to make good decisions that are in the public interest so that they would be reelected.
0: But what has happened now is that we have two parties that are pretty strongly, you know, coalesced within each other. The Republican party is better at this, but I won't pretend that the democratic party doesn't do this at some times. Absolutely. But what is, but what has happened in this instance is that the president of one party has a Senate of the same party and, and has also has a Supreme Court that, because through uh, through nominations, has a, a majority of justices that believe in the same ideological principles. So across these platforms, they can basically run defense. They can do whatever they want. This has been Mitch McConnell's whole shtick, is that he through power of the Senate, which distributes representatives to land and not people, he is able to hold up the entire government and he can coordinate with a president who has had an abuse of power and he can coordinate to keep him in power because the president is popular with his base. And if that is true... Then really, I mean, we fault Mitch McConnell for doing this, but there is no political incentive for him to go the other way. Mm-hmm. They are getting a conservative government. They Things are at a standstill, which they want. They don't want a whole lot of progress or new bills coming forward, which they want and they're getting. And they can stay in power and be in good faith with their base, which happens by keeping Trump in power And not voting to remove him from office. This is a big saving face option. They are in deep. You know, they all condemned Trump before he became in power, but have all since coalesced. They cannot just jump ship now. You know, Justin Amash was, or Justin Amash is the only defector from the Republican Party. And in. All reality, there is not a whole lot of incentive for them to do so, which leads to the question of is our constitutional order in need of fixing? Because this is a very clear-cut case. This isn't something on the fringe. This is a clear abuse of power and a clear obstruction of justice. This This is what the founders intended, like I mentioned before we can use founder intention because this is the same scenario. This, this was is one not of the exact
1: things they were afraid of.
0: This is not modern, a modern uh, issue that we try to extrapolate what they meant. This is what they meant. So, and even if that wasn't what the founders intended, I am just weary that in our modern, uh, Constitutional government that we are not able to remove a character such as Trump from office. <sighs> he is just so you know, so offensive to all, all of our uh ideals. He regularly derides America as being bad. He coddles you know, he cozies up next to dictators. He regularly makes jokes. I don't even know if they're jokes, because I don't know if he's able to make jokes that he should get a third term because he he believes that his first term should be null and void because he got investigated with all this stuff like it's just something you don't do and to me this is just such a clear-cut case that it's hard to it's hard to reconcile that
1: it's this- hard to have faith in a system that isn't prepared to deal with such a clear and obvious case.
0: Yes. It, we we are not rising to, and we haven't, you know, uh, preview for next week. We have not been living up to any challenge for the last decade. (laughs) And it's, uh, it's sad to see. And it's, it, it sparks delusionment and, It also sparks in me the the hope of reform, but yeah, this is this is impeachment.
1: (laughs) Perhaps the scariest thing about all of this to me sort of touches on some of the things that you've already addressed, but it can be clearly elucidated in Trump's written response to the articles of impeachment, in which he referred to the impeachment process as un-American. The idea is that by attacking the president, you are attacking the country, which is tantamount to saying that the man is the state. And this is a really dangerous rhetorical line that has been used by fascist dictators. The idea that one person is above the law, the person with the most power can do whatever they want. And therefore, any criticisms of that person, no matter how valid, no matter how constitutionally grounded, and grounded in common sense and morality, are inherently attacks on the state. And it's horrifying that so many people embrace this. And I'm just, that's, among all of this, what arguably concerns me the most. The idea that Donald Trump has a segment of people who will defend him as if he has the rights enshrined to the nation, because that is very difficult to overcome, and that's the type of thing that leads to political violence.
0: The whole point of the constitution was that the president is not the damn nation moving from um, away from monarchy from the failures of british democracy at the time the whole point was that the president was not the nation george george washington specifically you know led his president first presidency which was so important in a manner that he was not, he was not Mister United States. He was the first president of the United States, the first conduit of that office, of the will of the people, of the, you know, whatever way you want to talk about it. And we, that is not what we are. And Trump's authoritarian leanings—we are scared at his election that he may turn full authoritarian it it seems like that has not been the case but it does seem like the one thing that he claim he works towards is doing everything he can to remain in power and in a democracy such as ours it is built upon the idea that you will not be in power sometimes And you will have to cede control to people you disagree with. And that's the trade-off we have. And he does not seem willing to make that trade-off. He does not believe inherently in democracy. And that is troubling.
1: And I think it's really clear that we're not personal fans of Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, we're just shills.
1: (laughs) But I would hope that if there's anyone who's made it this far and still is really disagreeing with us, evaluate the merits, evaluate the claims that we're making, and ask yourself if, in good faith, they truly don't make sense to you. And as we say at the beginning of every episode, we're not perfect, but damn if we don't feel very very strongly about this one
0: I feel strongly enough that it's hard for me to see the other side um, and it's hard to see it in good faith the,
1: the, the, what it takes to see the other side I think is to truly buy into this idea that A Donald Trump is a man of good character and good judgment mm-hmm. B that the, his opponents are ravenous and will do anything to take him down and C, anything he can do to defend himself will be justified. And I, I just think the number of logical compromises you have to make to arrive at all three conclusions simultaneously violates the principle of good faith that we strive for here yes
0: to be on the other side of this ah it's just I don't want to make blanket statements because I know people on the other side of this but it's hard for me to see with the values that I have with the values that I've given with the the, what I, I like to believe are you know regular values that even the people that you know, may support him have. It just seems hard to recognize this as there being a true other side to the story that isn't just couched in making sure Trump has power.
1: And can we so, just, can we all agree that whatever is going on does not compare to the persecution of Jesus Christ? Yeah. <laughs> that's been disgusting to hear that come out of mouths
0: or how even saying that it's a witch hunt when the actual witches who were tried fucking died.
1: Yeah. were just (laughs) murdered. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Like uh, Trump is not going to get murdered out of this unless, you know, discount the, you know, uh, The possibility of an assassination but there's no there's no uh procedure for him being dead at the end of this
1: sure and we also affirm that we very much want donald trump to be alive there is nothing yep nothing about this that we believe warrants his death all right there's nothing there's there's none of that none of that
0: none of that uh commitment to life so those are our thoughts, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's going to whatever happens. This is going to be really tough and trying. And we hope that in spite of our strong emotional feelings about this topic, that we have provided ample factual evidence to evaluate the merits of this case the rationale for proceeding and the implications in a way that can at least lead to an intelligent discussion if nothing else yes
0: well evan um i think we had had musings that we were going to do a final segment but i feel like at least for me i would feel a little disingenuous if we popped over to some light topic after this.
1: So Rick and Morty uh, had an episode where the snake bit Morty and then they had to travel through time.
0: Whoa, pretty wacky. So I I think that's where we're going to end it. That sound good, Evan? Oh yeah. Yeah. So this has been another episode of Adequately Informed. We would like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. We ask you if you have any thoughts, any ideas, any recommendations of topics, anything at all coming into the new year. Let us know. Hit us up on Facebook or email us at podcast at adequately dot com. I pay like six bucks a month for that email. So if you could hit <laughs> that up, that would help me make it seem like it's worthwhile. <laughs> um, it, it is worthwhile. It is worthwhile. But we also ask if you have time and you're in the giving mood for the Christmas season, if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts, that would help us out a lot.
1: Just no and money.
0: No money. If you write, give it five stars and be like, hey, it's great. That's uh, cool. But I should not be saying, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm extorting you guys, but anyway
1: but is there a quid pro quo
0: is i don't think so unless you know giving you a free podcast is payment but anyway my name's joe hicks
1: and mine's evan kelly
0: and we hope that you've been
1: adequately informed